Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome, everyone, to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. So excited. Today, we've got Jackie Shainitzer. Jackie, have I said that right? You've said it perfectly. I have. Thank okay, you. good. Hi, um, everyone. Hey, th- thanks for joining us. Um, so, so she's a coach. She's a facilitator of the Daring Way. And for people who don't know who uh, what that is, that's um, linked to Brené Brown's book, The Daring Way. If I've got that correctly, it, pretty much, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, which who I absolutely love and who has influenced so so much uh, so much of my life. So, a lot of what Jack- Jackie does is help people develop self compassion so that they can do braver things, uh, and and not just as individuals but within the workplace as well. We certainly need a whole lot of that. Jackie, fill in the blanks for us. What what are you passionate about at the moment? Um, uh, Workplace, I think. Um, I've spent a couple of years trying to resist the corporate pull and um, make it up that I needed to be out of the corporate world. But actually, I think what I've discovered is that the people are in the workplaces, the vulnerabilities in the people. So um, we were just talking before we started that actually it's about collaboration, I think. And we there's still work to do like as a, as a species, as humanity. We've still got stuff to do and stuff to create. So um, I think it is about those gatherings, whether that is a traditional workplace or whether it's just gatherings of coaches or um, people trying to trying to have change happen for you know for good effect. Completely, we 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 need community, and there is something about that old school way of working that kind of separates out uh, you know personal vulnerability or showing up as our our full selves. So it sounds like there's so much work to be done just around that humanity empathy side. Totally. I'm really loving the work of Frederick Leloux, who um, he wrote a book called Reinventing Organizations. Um, you may have heard of it. And it's really, like one of the key elements of that is about wholeness. How do people be whole in the workplace? So, so yeah, that's um, just so, so exciting uh, to not have to separate out, you know, the, the, the mask of, of having everything together at work and then maybe falling apart outside of it. Um, Isn't it? Yeah, just bringing bringing our full flawed selves because then we can reach sort of higher potential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so exciting. Um, so as you know, the theme of this podcast is all all around uh, adversity and and you know resilience, things that we've been through. I certainly have a story of my own, which has um, drawn me to bringing out stories of other people. Uh, of course, that sort of goes into vulnerability and um, the stuff that maybe we don't always advertise or talk about. We, we sort of like the shiny, you know, I figured this shit out stuff, you know, I, I, I now know what I'm doing. I am a grown up, you know, um, when actually we all have a history and, and a story. So, so give us a little bit of context just to what it was like for you growing up. What was your sort of background, family situation? I mean, do you think that uh, your, your family, parents, education system sort of prepared you for maybe life in the real world as an adult? Uh, I think that I had, I had a really happy younger childhood. So up to about eight, nine or 10, I had a perfectionism, a perfectionism thing going on. But, um, apart from that, it was a really happy childhood. And I think what I've learned as an adult is that there were some things that I didn't get equipped to do, even though I had a happy childhood and was loved very much. Um, and those things were things like understanding emotion and dealing with fear, um, allowing myself to have anger boundaries, like yeah. what what are they um like I get it now but um it's only been like I'm 47 now and it's only been in the last five or six years that I've actually explored boundaries and so I never got taught any of that um and I know I'm not alone with that kind of thing so no. it's certainly not yeah. taught in the education system oh my goodness do you know it's interesting because in the in the daring way one of the I won't give too much away but one of the things we do is we do go and look at what are the messages from school and from childhood not because it's therapy but because it's really useful to briefly touch on oh god I know where that came from um and also when people 
tell the story i think we have like light bulb moments where pathways are created in the brain where we were told off by a teacher or um well i've got an example of wetting myself when i was about 11 um in an after school class because i didn't listen to my body and i didn't say i want to go to the loo so i ended up wetting myself and that's one of my moments where i know that being visible was i learned that being being visible was a bad thing so i think there are plenty of moments in school time where we're so impressionable that we learn not to show up or that it's not okay to fail or that we need to actually pass pass exams and sit in lines and do as we're told and not really be who we are and not explore like the full range of of yourself and your own unique abilities completely in fact I can't even believe I can't even imagine having had a childhood where that was allowed or not even allowed I think it would have been permitted for me it just wasn't I think the people that were around me my mum bless her wonderful she was a wonderful mum and I was so loved and she was a product of her childhood and her upbringing of course um I think the whole female line um that I was born into I don't think any of us really um were encouraged to be the hot the wholeness of who we were we were encouraged to be good and keep quiet and keep harmony and yeah um, be, be well behaved try hard very interesting the thing you say about anger because that's definitely uh part of my conditioning within a, a different environment so I was raised in, in a religious cult and so there was a very exaggerated view of sort of towing the line and being you know uh in the group not standing out in in too big a way but you know happiness was okay um Frustration was was okay if it was around a sense of justice or, or kind of a group purpose in that sense. But actually being angry just because you had an overwhelming emotion or something had hurt you was definitely not okay. It was yeah. there was something wrong with you. Like you were the problem if you know if that happened, you know. Um so yeah. so I'm curious about uh anger in, in general. And did it ever show up as a child? Did you ever have um like view it or or tried to come out and it got shut down? Um, I, I don't remember being a young child and having, and being angry. Um, in my teenage years, I had some, I had a, a, um, a family member that we weren't blood related who was, who overstepped the mark from a, um, uh, a sexual perspective and actually when I look back on that now what I realize is anger was absolutely the right way to deal with that or to and I didn't even feel angry I felt passive oh it, I, yeah it's it's such an interesting thing I, so no I don't think I really I don't even think it was on my radar it wasn't I, even possible yeah it's really interesting Patrick because one of the things that has really helped me in uh, you know in my um in my mature and wise and grown years I know I'm not quite there yet but um is being able to say to my younger self do you know um that was that wasn't okay and you are allowed to have a preference and no one has to agree with it and um anger actually is I like to think Carla McLaren has a lovely way of talking about anger and she says it's a bit of a it's like a sentry that works walks our boundary and tells us when someone has overstepped the mark and right it's, it's a message exactly and so you don't have to react with anger but you have to honor it and if you don't honor it you end up you know having a hissy fit um, at the photocopier because you've ignored it for so long <laughs> or um you it's internalized and so that's going to come out in other ways it's got to go somewhere that energy and um, what but the important bit for me was that she says when we don't when we're told when we're young like if you see a parent in a supermarket with a child that's crying or screaming or creating a scene most parents I mean I'm not a parent so I'm not criticizing parents it looks really tough it's so but you hard. don't see people you don't see people get down on their knees and say okay Billy this is anger and here's yeah, what we do yeah, you, don't yeah, hit yeah. People. you don't see that you see parents going oh my god I need to shut this child up do you want chocolate do you want cake don't feel that thing stop crying well and that's um, the beginning of the shame message right in thinking about Brene Brown and some of her messages you know yeah. um you know if we feel embarrassed we feel shame we try and shut it down because it's too uncomfortable to process absolutely and I think it's so hit for me or back then it's so hidden it just becomes the fabric of who you are and how you relate with the world and um the other part of that Carla McLaren thing is that we put fear in charge instead of anger so fear tries to do the job of anger for our whole lives which is it kind of helped me realize why I was pretty much afraid of everything yeah keep um, us safe yeah. And so, you know, I, I, it's not just about being seen and being visible. It's about getting on a plane or being with a horse or, you know, traveling on the tube in London. Um, 
so yeah I realized I had this kind of low level anxiety and fear that was much more it was was trying really really hard to keep me safe and I can be compassionate about that now whereas you know and I think that that being able to look at that and be able to say to myself no wonder you're you're so afraid but actually you don't need to be has been a really helpful thing to be able to yeah what a huge uh huge growth over I imagine time but how did some of those feelings around, you know, fear, you know, leading your life, how did that impact some of the decisions you made as you began to grow older? Well, I think, so the fear, I think, was twinned with um, the perfectionism, perfectionism, which was born of being a really good um, school student. So I was always top of the class. I was popular. Um, I didn't learn to fail, actually. I was always top. I always, and and I wasn't, I didn't gloat like sometimes my mum would say the teacher had said to her she's top of the class again has she told you and I hadn't because it wasn't any big deal to me I just was smart I guess I picked things up quite quickly um you know I passed you know I was top I just succeeded at everything and actually what I know now is that 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 didn't prepare me to fail because (laughs) no uh, you know I was too good at everything I was I was I was pretty I was uh, you know I was popular the boys liked me you know when we started to get into that so I never actually got rejection really um Mm -hmm. I know I I know it's I mean it sounds like a wonderful thing but actually it does sound like a wonderful thing and if you're the parent of a child (laughs) who's succeeding you you kind of want to protect them right you don't want because their pain is your pain so you want Mm. to protect it and make sure that you know they feel but I feel like this is where parents do fail um is that we don't allow space for the for the failure and, and the permission that it's okay yeah, absolutely. And, and I think probably we have to do our own. We have to be in that place. I think I'd be a much par- better parent now if I had a child now mm-hmm. than if I had had them, um, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I think I would have probably passed on all the stuff you yeah. know, the, the fact that I didn't have them, which has meant I've been able to learn this stuff because I've been able to immerse myself in my work. Um, so I probably wouldn't be the kind of person that I am now. Maybe I would. I'm not sure. Um, well, I, well, you may have just taken a slightly different route. Yeah, but I'm actually, I think my story, so this is probably getting us onto another question, but there is something about our story, right? Resisting our story is kind of pointless. Um, Oh, okay. I'm just going to highlight that. Resisting your story is pointless. I just want to highlight that for people because it's so, because we do, we, I mean, for years I tried to push down my story because it was too shameful. It was too hard. It was too, there was, I didn't, I hadn't you know, attach the right kind of meaning or the, the kind of shiny silver lining to it yet. It was just messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but connect to the story. Okay, so, so jump in. Tell us mm. about some of your adversity, whatever pops up. And I often refer to rock bottoms or, or crashes or whatever. I don't know if those terms resonate for you. Uh, but sort of what comes up when we think of the adversity that you faced in your life? Um, and I will. I just want to acknowledge for what you just said about the shiny silver lining, because right. I, I see you in that place. And I just want to send out a bit of a, uh, I don't know what that is, some warm fuzzies over the net. <laughs> I, didn't it, I didn't want it to pass. But I think those are the moments, Patrick, those are the moments where if we can meet ourselves in that with that tenderness in those moments where it's needed, that's those are the magical moments, I think. So okay thank you I appreciate that <laughs> it's okay um and so the adversity I think the biggest adversities the biggest crashes I've had have been around fertility loss uh, pregnancy loss and not being a mum which have actually become different things so the so I had three pregnancy losses I had two ectopic pregnancies um the first one was a, an emergency situation like you know rushed into uh, for emergency mm. surgery and it's um you know a mass I've got a, a six inch scar across my tummy and uh, tube removed all that kind of thing so there was the surgery and the trauma around uh, as well as the pregnancy loss of course um and then the second one was in the other tube but it had almost got to the where it should be in it not quite so there was a kind of near miss element so each one had its own knife twists in some ways um and then my third pregnancy was a miscarriage which had got to the right place so we were like celebrating because and the, and the nurse was saying did you realize that you've lost this baby and I said yes but it had got to the right place so um oh so that felt like it had moved a further step along <laughs> but I even remember after my first after the surgery of my first one 
I had no clue what, you know, I um, I was going to be on bed rest for like four weeks. It was like, it's like hysterectomy surgery, apparently. So I was going to be not be able to move or drive for six or eight weeks. And I remember wondering, like get trying to get out of bed with my bum hanging out of my dressing gown because I needed to go and find someone that I could help. That's what I was. And they were like, you've just had emergency surgery and you've lost a baby. You need to be back in bed and you need to be resting. And this real urge in me to, and it wasn't, projection it didn't feel like I was trying to deny anything I just felt this real urge to help what was it I don't know and I don't um what was it I don't it feel like when I look back on it now it feels like a really innate urge a human a humanity thing a kind of you know um not sort of an avoidance of your own pain in that moment because that's sort of what jumps out at me it maybe I, I think maybe yeah maybe Oh God, this is like vulnerability. This is what vulnerability is, isn't it? When you go, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, shit. I don't have the perfect Fuck. silver lining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there is that, but also this, um, the fertility thing is something I kind of ignore for my current work. So I do work with women and there is something about the feminine, like the feminine masculine approaches to business or not because of men and women, but because of male and female ways of being, whether you are male or women. So I think there's something that I'm still denying that I'm not fully owning about my work um, and telling the story, you know, telling the parts of it, which are difficult to tell and vulnerable, like, you know, a family member who abused trust, um, not having had my body do the most natural feminine mm. human thing to do and my body didn't do it so for me failure came at a massive like look there I am skipping through life good at everything yeah yeah I think I'll have a family um and life had other plans so so there, so there were the pregnancy losses and then an IVF which didn't take didn't happen um and then I decided not to try anything else because it's just too much hard work. And, and I imagine this all of this spanned over a considerable amount of time. Yeah, about uh fifteen years. And would no. have had sort of just the build up effect of of that sort of trauma or sadness or pain or I don't know, how were you managing within that time? I did grief. Um, I definitely, so it was way before my coaching days, but I definitely felt all the feelings. Mm. Um, and I had hope because I thought that another pregnancy, I didn't know at that point that I wasn't going to become a parent. So that, that sort of came later and not being a parent and not being a mum, they feel like two different things as well. Not being a parent and not being a mum. Um, that wasn't part of the story back then. Mm. So it really was about the immediate grief and also the one of the hardest the one of the places where I really struggled from a vulnerability point of view was other people's pregnancies. So I wish them joy and in the moment where everybody was celebrating there was one point where we ran a pub and we had a, a manager of the pub and his girlfriend and she got pregnant and she was kind of chasing me up the stairs in my own pub because she wanted to show me her pregnancy test and I couldn't look at it because I couldn't be genuine about my joy for her and when that was really like I I didn't own that for about five or six years like I would smile with everybody else and not actually say god this is really painful and I think that was vulnerability because to actually say to let someone see me in that pain and in that imperfection was too much far too much my husband yeah but um even to myself I didn't really own that for a long long time and it was so freeing when I did because it is there and it is painful. And actually now I've got the grandchildren thing, you know, I've got friends who are becoming grandparents and it's always going to sting. And actually that's okay now. It doesn't have the, um, it doesn't knock me off my feet. It's part of my humanity. It's part of being, it's, it's their, their scars and I'm, it's uh, your story. Exactly. Um, what, what is it about? Cause I'm just curious and I'm learning about this myself. What is it about, not wanting to show people the pain when you're in it. So we can do the hindsight thing. And once we've sort of figured it out ourselves, we can go, hey, that was really painful. But what is it about not wanting to show people the the mess or the falling apart in the moment? I um, I think unless we have an established practice for how to take care of ourselves in those moments, we're going to revert to self protection. Got it. Which is going to have in it denial, fight or flight. Uh, yeah, high, high, um, avoiding um, 
you know, maybe even freezing as well as fight or flight. You Absolutely. Know that. Yeah. And disappearing. So, um, but, but I think for me, I didn't even own it myself. I didn't even own it myself. And you just didn't have the tools to. Exactly. And now, so one of the things, uh, you know, one of the, well, we can talk about tools. Ask me about tools if you're going to ask. But um, yeah, so I think the answer is that I, I think we are, it, it's hard in the moment because we are hooked. And so unless we are able to take a deep breath in that moment and go, okay, something's happening. What is that? And and it depends on our other patterns. So do we just suck it up and carry on? Do we do we think do we say things like, well, other people have had far, you know, other people had had babies and then lost their babies. That's far worse. But we do this comparative suffering thing, I think. So instead of actually feeling what we're feeling and letting it be honoured in that moment, I think it was about the school, the skills and the tools. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just um, I'm just imagining that sort of. Uh, process of watching other mothers have that joyous moment and I feel I've got this little bit of guilt in the back of my mind as I speak to you right because I was 22 and knocked up and did not appreciate a second of my children my son Mm -hmm. specifically who's now 14 Um, and my story was that I did not want to be a mother you know Mm -hmm. And, and I say that knowing full well that you may be fucking hating me right now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I know what you mean, but do you know what? Here's the thing. I, I think it's brave to say it because, and this is vulnerability, Petra. This is connection, true connection, because mm. when you have trust and when you are held by someone else, um, you know someone doesn't have the intention to hurt you, mm. but also they trust you that they can, you, you know, that you can feel this thing because it's your story and it's part of your life. So I don't hate you at all. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I just felt like I've got to, I've got to say this because, because my story was very much, I had to learn through the pain of responsibility and on all that stuff you said at the beginning about all your triggers and everything coming out at your child. In a way, my story was that provoked my absolute rock bottom um, Uh, in, in, in triggering and seeing that the cycle of my past was going to repeat right in front of my eyes unless I did something about it. Um, so, so a really, really powerful and, and I'm privileged to, to of course have my children now, but I'm still a reluctant parent, you know, (laughs) you're not alone. alone. (laughs) That's true. Um, isn't it interesting that we just all have our painful journey, whatever, whatever that might be for us and whatever it needs to teach us in the world. Absolutely. And, and the thing that I, so now when I hear you say that story, what I, I have complete compassion because you're a human being and that's your story. Mm. And I no longer have any, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing in me that now gets tricked. Like sometimes Brene will say that Brene Brown will say she can tell the story she tells about her life because she's done the healing on them. Yeah. So when she tells a painful story, she's no longer in pain. Yeah, and that really resonated for me. I'm no, I'm no longer in pain. I might still have my eyes smart when I realise I'm not going to be a grandparent. Of course, and I'm not going to be a millionaire either. Probably, hey, um, there might still be hope on that one. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> but I think what I've, what I, because I've done the healing on my own story, I no longer. It's not you know, like your story's not about me. Your story's about you, and yeah. so yeah. When you tell your story. I can be fully in there with you. Um, and trying to work out what it's like for you in that place. And I've had to do my healing and, you of know, course. and, and of sort course. of move past some of that. Yeah. I within all those 15 years, I, obviously there's just a, a whole bunch of things going on, continuous disappointments and then striving <laughs> for hope. And can you, would you mark out like a specific time or times where you were at your lowest of low? Like, what did that look like? I think I had lowest of lows for each of the pregnancy losses because there was a an immediate grieving process. But the 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 most and I can't describe this as a low exactly, but it was the most intense the most intense way I felt it was on my process weekend with CTI when I was training to become a coach. So people that's and, just for the audience that's the coach training institute and that's where I did my coach training as well and it's oh my goodness oh my it, that those weekends can be so uh, fully immersive and, and intense as far as personal learning. Totally. So so what happened for you? Well, on the pre- so I was lucky enough for my entire coach training. I got coached at the front of the room twice, which basically Did means you? <laughs> yeah. Um, which yeah, what does it mean for people who aren't familiar? 
It means that, um, so there are about 20, I think there are about 25 in my cohort. And yeah. at some point, a leader, so there are usually t- two leaders and three or f- three assistants who sit at the back of the room, but are very much a part of the um, what's going on in the room. And, you know, you're doing your own work whilst you're training to be a coach, as you know, Patrick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and, and what happened for me both times was that one of the leaders approached me and said, would you like to be coached? You know, we're going to do a part on intuition or we're going to do a part on... Um, process this was a process one but the, the it was interesting so you can say no um but, but, I've always you, been but a bit you don't of, right <laughs> yeah, and I've always been a bit so part of my um part of my learning to become whole has been stopping performing um, wow yeah and so and so I, I, I've always I've always been able to speak in front of people I've trained I've been a learning and development manager so I'm used to having to project and hold a room and all that kind of stuff and part of that has been projection Mm-hmm. And part of it has been truly doing, like feeling really um, energized and like I'm contributing in that moment. And I've had to learn the difference. Um, but neither of these were performances. Um, and the and the in the morning of that coach training, what, what, so I, I coached with some beautiful, beautiful men. The women were stunning as well. But the, I was really moved by the energy of some of the men. We're still friends today. Um, and I remember one of them was coaching me and he had his hand on my tummy as he was, he put his hand on my tummy and I can't remember what he said, but there was something about all that pain came out and there was something about the beauty of a man that I didn't Mm. know that well, um, who put his hand on my tummy and asked what, what's here, what's in here. And that kind of started the floodgates opening. Oh my goodness. I know. And then after a break, like we'd had, um, a review of the, um, the night before's homework and the group I was in there about five of us I didn't get to do my review so we went for a break and when we came back they got their chairs back together and said we want to hear your story which was really sweet um but I remember thinking I I can't think anymore I've been feeling for a day and a half I've never felt so intense and I um everything you know they say you know we're gonna see how you are with intense emotion and you think how will they do that and they just say how are you doing and it's all just there you don't even have to go looking for it um and I had I heard a voice in my head say you're going to get coached at the front of the room it was really bizarre um and then Fiona Sturrock who's one of the leaders she did approach me in the break and said we'd like to coach you at the front of the room and the bottom line of that was um I expressed my shame at not being a mother at, at my body um my annoyance at my body um how wrong I felt as a human being and as as a as a woman and and, and, and it was beautifully done because she too was a mother and she was a mother and she held the space so beautifully and it ended with me recognizing that really the essence of me was mother earth you know i'm i was standing with my wow. hands stretched apart absolutely mm-hmm. and i was holding the perfect and the imperfect in exactly the same space mm. um, that we are perfect just as we are it sounds trite to say it but there was a real resonance about settling into the perfection of our cuts and scars and losses and disappointments because that is life that's what we're here to experience. It um, is life. And we try so hard to push that part away from sort of what's visible and what we connect to other people on. Uh, and then we, we realize over time that it's when we do reveal those things that we, as Brené Brown would say, that we find the deepest connection of all. Completely. And you can't fake that. You can't. Um, you really can't. No. Yeah. And it's okay. You know, like, I could, there's a bit of my head that thinks that last couple of minutes, I kind of waffled a little bit. And a long time ago, I would have really judged myself for that. And now I just think, fuck it, I'm being me. So what? You know, it's okay. I'm telling my story. Give myself permission to be imperfect and uh, whole and unattached to what anyone else's judgment is. I'm completely unattached to that now. And it's, it's a really free place to be. So, I mean, such an exciting place to be. Tell us more about the journey that got you there, because I know obviously those weekends can have a, a, an absolute profound uh, impact. Um, but you're talking about a 15 year process of building up, you know, uh, grief, trauma and, and then some kind of acceptance. I think you've said that, you know, that you w- won't be a mother and uh, that, that you have other purpose in life. And, you know, and I'm curious yeah. about what did you need to practically do? Did you, did you see a therapist? Did you put some routines in place just to have some self-care? What, 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 were, what were the things that allowed you to have this beautiful perspective that you now have? It's really hard to answer because I don't, it's in hindsight that it happened. Of course. And it's so gradual, I, these things. 
Yeah, it really is. I think so. There is something about the process of acceptance, and like I'm 47, and I still, when my period comes, I still think, oh, I could get pregnant this month, and then I think, do I really want to start all that now? Mm. Um, and the answer is no. But there's still this part of me that. But I think so. There's something about I had a brilliant husband. I have got a brilliant husband, and he has children from another marriage, and he hasn't had an easy journey of parenthood, and he couldn't have been a better partner to have infertility with because there was no pressure at all to have a child. Okay. Um. So that that really helped, and he was really really my rock. So there's something about support. I think. Yeah, having the um, right people in your life. Yeah, and I never really found groups of women who didn't have children. Okay. The, some the people right do. kind of report yeah absolutely yeah. for me I've, I've made some great friends um the ectopic pregnancy trust really helped me in the early days and i made some great buddies uh, ladies there they were wonderful and there's something about there was a point where i thought do you know what i want to have an amazing life or even just a really good life it doesn't have to be amazing because ordinary is another place where i do shame like being oh. ordinary is not <laughs> there's oh. a scarcity about being ordinary for me but yeah like I just want to have a good life and I want to love my work and I want to love the people that I work with and I want to feel fulfilled and that wasn't through parenthood for me and maybe it was never going to be there was a point where I thought you know maybe what I think parenthood is isn't actually what I think it's going to bring me well that's probably true absolutely (laughs) yeah um and like Simon sometimes says, like my boobs still look good. So <laughs> there's something in that. Hey, ho- I would yeah. hold on to that. <laughs> and you know, a while back that would have been something that I thought, you know, I really wanted this, but actually I'll make do with that. But it's not that anymore. And so over time, it has become. It. it I didn't choose it, but um, it is what happened. And so. I have to accept it or even embrace it. Like I have to be able to love the fact that this, all of this happened because it's my story. And if I don't love it, I'm actually rejecting part of myself. It doesn't mean I chose it. And what what I'm hearing is, is sort of reframing your focus onto what is in your control rather than what's not in your control. So, so things about, well, how do I have a good life within this context? What are the things that are important to me? And then how do I move, you know, adjust things or, or work towards setting the goals that will, will give me my sort of maximum life within the context of things that I don't have control over? And it's funny that you should say that because one of the things I think I've learned is because I lost my mum about um, three and a half years ago. And so what that gave me was another layer. Oh, my God, did that give me another layer? <laughs> another layer. Of, of another punch in the face. <laughs> but, um, oh, that was the hardest thing I've ever experienced, ever. And so I still am. Um, mm. It kind of did break me open. And what it, And so what I realized is that it wasn't just about fertility loss for me. There's been a kind of theme through my life or my later life about parent motherhood. What is it to be a mother? Like mother earth, what is she all about? Um, what is our connection with our true nature about? Um, uh, losing my own mother, not being a, um, a mother myself. So there's a kind of isolation because it's just kind of me, like it's just me in life. It's not got no mm. siblings. Um, but there's a freedom in that as well. And so the control thing, all my life I've controlled stuff, how people perceive me, how well I do in exams, how much I prepare for a presentation or a training that I'm doing. Yeah. And my, I think my life's journey, and it's still unfolding, but it feels like is to be able to trust in the present moment and let things unfold instead of trying to control everything to the nth degree. Like I'll have four children and I'll have one when I'm 29 and one when I'm 32 and yeah yeah so um, so something about letting go yeah which is it so much easier said than done right totally <laughs> i had i had an astrology reading and the guy said to me you can't do entropy do you know what that means and i said not really um and i looked it up in the context of coaching yeah do you know do you know the word i do don't you- know please explain well um as in, so entropy in science terms i think means that if you leave something alone it will fall into ruin Right. Unless you maintain it, it will it will naturally turn into like chaos. Like decompose and, and yeah. Yeah. So if you don't go to your garden and look after things, it will just become chaos. Um, but the astro bit was about and whether you believe in that kind of thing or not. It doesn't really matter. The essence for me was about pregnancy being a process that needs to happen. You don't make it happen. Once mm. you're pregnant, it's a, it you have to stuff is out of your control in lots of ways. Yeah. And that state of being is not one I've ever been able to 
happily be in. In fact, it's so alien for me that when you say, you know, let go, I, my whole body goes, oh my God, we can't do that because <laughs> nothing would happen. <laughs> um, we would all descend into chaos. Yeah, but but actually what I learned from about me as a coach is that I'm at my very best when I let things descend into chaos because I fully trust like what's here, what's what's wanting to happen um, instead of me having to know what I'm going to say next, what I'm going to do next, what am I doing with this person, am I looking okay? Um, it's so much more powerful when we go, right, what's here right now? What It is, and I, yeah. and I can, I mean, it's bloody scary as well, but... Um, <laughs> I, I know just from some of the first public speaking I ever did where, where I overprepared, you know, even emotional stories to the nth degree and came across as a bit stilted and, and sort of panic trying to remember the exact process of the perfect talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first time I did a talk where I did have some notes and then I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to show up, right? Um, yeah best talk I ever did right I bet. and, and I bet. it was just because um there was rawness there was reality and and so it sort of taught me over te- you know a decade obviously um to to trust the process as you're saying to trust that a lifetime of of teaching and learning through experience and and other you know avenues um it's all there and I just need to show up and it will come out in the right sort of way responding to the need rather than forcing something completely I love it. I love, I'm laughing when you say that, not at you, but because, because it resonates so much like how, um, this whole thing around presence, the ability to trust, like rather than thinking, how should I look and what should I wear and what should I say? And I need to plan and prepare my whole life so that whatever circumstance I'm in, I'll say the right thing. Whatever right thing means, right? Exactly. And actually that's where the appeasing comes in or the performing or the, um, you know that the instead of thinking fuck it i'll just work it out as i go along yeah i'll work just it, wing out. it i'll handle it exactly yeah. but it's not it's not winging it as a like winging it but but being completely transparent about the fact that you're winging it here's here's an interesting thing when i coach and tra- well, no, when i train i in the daring way the actual training itself was wonderful and uh, um it's been delivering the delivering the workshops where i've had my biggest growth far more than the training because Ooh, isn't that interesting it's really interesting partly because i think we did it online and so actually there was an issue around vulnerability it was actually quite it's, it's designed to be done in person mm. and the group the group experience is what makes it it's really taught me how important sharing is um because there's so much you feel so unalone once you've heard someone else say you everyone else's childhood shit yep um, yeah yeah not because you go in there, but because you're acknowledging, you're giving a nod to it. If you need therapy, you know, you know, we help people find the right places, but um, we, we can't ignore it. Even if we are coaches looking forward, we still have to give a nod to some of that stuff, I think. So I there's been something about being fully me and being messy and fucking it up and saying to the group, I am terrified right now and I'm doing this with you anyway because I really believe in it. It's so powerful. So powerful. And saying, I don't know what I'm going to do next when you completely trust yourself is very different to having the audience think, shit, we need to rescue this person because you've tried to look like you know what you're doing when you don't. There's a real um, realness to that and it actually helps to develop trust because people can see who you are. You're not hiding anything. I agree. I would say there's a fine line between that authentic vulnerability and women specifically um, uh, undervaluing themselves and talking themselves down when actually they're the coming in as the expert and the authority in a situation. Um, yeah. do, you, do you see what I mean? I remember going to a talk and a woman was a mindfulness expert and was going to lead the group in a mindfulness thing. Uh, and she just didn't talk about her own why around why she was connected to the subject. And she kept saying, well, I'm not an expert in this, or I'm not an expert in this, or I don't have this degree or, you know, and saying that to the audience, which allows them to lose confidence in you. Um, but really, she had a lifetime of experience of, of mindfulness, sitting with the best teachers and being able, you know, um, yeah. so, so I just think there's an interesting distinction for us women about presenting as, you know, I, I'm fully flawed and will not get a workshop or a talk perfect. But I've also put some fucking hard work into myself investing in myself and learning about mental health specifically that's my sort of field um resilience those sorts of those sorts of topics so almost trusting that the work that you put in on the side is going to come out and show up when you need it to 
Absolutely. And because you feel that, they will feel that. There you go. Exactly. It's, it's that it's that inner truth is the thing that makes the difference. That's so if it. someone is saying, I'm not an like I'll, I don't want people to think I'm an expert on shame. I'm not an expert on shame. I'm an expert in how I did it. Sure. I mean I can help you I can help you because I've done it. I don't know what your way looks like, but I'm sure as hell gonna stand with the fire with you whilst you we discover it together. Okay. I'm not afraid of that. Um, but I'm not going to tell you I'm an expert at it or I know what's going to happen next. But there's, I think if you've got that inner showing upness, people feel the difference. You, you know, you feel the difference. hundred percent. I like that uh, technical term, inner showing upness. <laughs> Do you like that? <laughs> I love that. It's, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> it's from my, um, make sure you credit me, won't you? Okay. It's from my um, book of expertise. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, show up and be you. And okay. And so I'm, I'm now like piecing some puzzle pieces together and recognizing the incredible, you know, journey that you've been on for 14 years, 15 years, I think you said, um, of shame, vulnerability, not being a mother, having to accept a different path in your life and showing up (laughs) in workshops on bravery and shame. Like, I mean, that's full on exposing stuff. It is, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> is it <laughs> I, but it's interesting because I don't I tell my story I, like I'll talk about infertility not in detail like we are but I mentioned that that's where I learned not to be perfect mm. um but that's where I was humbled in some ways um and I wonder if there's like I'm kind of a little bit called to tell more of that story so for even even telling you there's a kind of like a mini sexual abuse thing in my teenage years is actually mm. quite a step forward for me because it's something it's not something that needs to be publicly shouted about or worn as a badge but it is part of it's where I learned to give away my power it's where I learned that someone else was in charge it's where I learned to relate to like I've had quite a few male role models in my life who were the powerful ones and so it's power claiming my own power has been I don't want to sound like Wonder Woman or anything but allowing myself to stay powerful instead of letting that drain away whenever I'm in a situation where I feel exposed or vulnerable is has been one of the one of the skills to learn to recognize it when I'm doing it and to say to myself hey where are you going you know come back um you've got this you're going to be okay um with the same tenderness that I might do to someone that I loved that has been the, mm. if, if I could t- if I could help anybody with anything it would be about just being able to take two minutes to put your hand on your heart when you notice you've been tri- triggered and go ow this is hard th- like this right now is really hard and it's not just me. Other people sometimes feel like this. And what is it I need to give to myself? Or may I be kind to myself? Even that process makes my heart open up. And gratitude does this as well. The practice of gratitude over time. Mm. I've only got to say the word gratitude now and my heart opens up like a big sunshine. I know it sounds a bit odd, but it's been so self-compassion, I think, and, and gratitude have been yeah I mean we to, to, to be honest um lots of people talk about it we we've had somebody talk about a sort of a gratitude practice I certainly do uh daily or I try to do daily three things uh that I'm grateful for and there's a lot of science and neuroscience behind you know what that does to to our brain and how it allows our perspective to sort of open up uh and and the visual image of sort of your heart opening up to you know because the alternative is all the scars that we refer to physical emotional scars in order to keep us safe we want to shut the fuck down and protect ourselves and and build up the walls I certainly do build up you know the highest fence imaginable in order to never allow that to happen to me again Mm. right and 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 just that visual image of going hey gratitude I just say the word my heart opens and in my mind it extends to the wall kind of comes down and we're open again and vulnerable to the possibility of amazing connection but also to pain you know that's what being alive fully is Mm-hmm. absolutely beautifully put i feel like that was quite beautifully put i was just <laughs> in the course. yeah let's just think about that wall open heart I'm, I'm you know i'm giving advice to myself right now right <laughs> and here's the, you know the thing is um what when i was doing my masters i did it around strengths and gratitude and um courage funny enough and authenticity it's funny because that was 2012 and so sometimes when you look back and you connect with us you think oh yeah that was probably right and when I was reading the academic literature about gratitude I noticed that I had a funny feeling in my heart in my chest it's kind of like the lead up to an orgasm but not as intense as that but it's in my chest Mm -hmm. and it's a bit it's a wider feeling 
Um, I'm sorry for anyone of a sensitive disposition who's it listening. It doesn't matter. Right now. That's not my audience. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and that was when I was reading academic literature, which isn't that sexy. Um, but you're saying there was some impact for you. Totally. And actually, it wasn't till later. So when I came back to the gratitude work through The Daring Way, and because I was teaching it and talking about self-compassion and feeling, actually focusing on where our heart is and thinking about oxytocin and the cuddle chemicals and the stuff that happens in our bodies when we do that, Mm. I noticed that I'd only have to start talking about it and my body would do that thing. Wow. So even my focus in that area over time, and when we do it on the daring way, people don't always feel like that's you know. So when you write three good three good things, or mm-hmm. you know, people don't always feel it as they're writing it. Of course not. There's a cognition about it. They're thinking about it, but there's actually a very visceral feeling place. Um, well, and like and all of these things, I was just going to say it's it's habit, right? So so it's totally over time practice. that these things build up and have impact on us. Practice, practice, practice. Absolutely. So, so what um, routines do you have in, in your life now in order to look after yourself, uh, in order to be successful in, in the way that you are? I love that you say that, that you even think I'm successful. That's funny. Um, <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> I didn't know, but I define success as anything. Like I, whatever success means to you, whether it's connecting yeah. to people, whether it's building business, what, you know, whatever, the, yeah, creating yeah. the life that you truly love, that's successful to me. I love it. My 15-year-old self just poked her head up and said, did she just say we were successful? Are we successful? (laughs) Um, Do you know what? I don't really... I try and have routines. I try and have... I like the idea of routines, and it never kind of really happens to me. So normally when I... You know, I like the idea of waking up and, you know, stretching and um, deciding how I'm going to feel today. And Mm -hmm. actually, it doesn't kind of... My morning doesn't happen like that. I need to... Here are the things I need to do. I need to journal. I need to write what I'm thinking and feeling because that helps me order things and sort things out. It, and it also helps me remember that some mornings I wake up certain that this is the next thing I should be doing. And the next day I'll wake up with a completely different certainty and that that's okay. And just because I'm thinking it doesn't mean it's true. So something about intuition and connecting to that somehow. There is, I think it's about parts as well. The parts of me that are in charge at any one time. So, mm. Um, but there's definitely something about thinking that I'm only really just nailing for myself. And that is not to necessarily believe the chatter that's going on in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, just chatter. Yeah, exactly. But we believe, but I, I've always believed it. It's in my head and therefore it must be true. Or I'm feeling this thing, you know, sometimes I will feel before I'm, um, connecting with clients, like I don't really want to do this today. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not true. I know it's not true. And I love the person I'm about to connect with, but I still have the thought, I don't really want to do this. Well, and some of that is fear, right? It's going, Hey, am I going to show up and be the coach that I need to be for this person? Because it's a vulnerable place and we have to push ourselves to, to, to be amazing in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And the, so there's something that I've discovered about the wisdom in me to know the difference and to, and to there's a depth to me um, that I never had before which is that awareness of all the of how I work and how things are inside me, how I experience the world and which of those things are life affirming and feel really good to follow. Um, and which things are actually, I, I, I could, they need a bit more compassion from me, but they can sit in the back seat. They don't get to drive. And would you uh, say, I just want to touch on that depth that you referred to. Would you say that that depth has sort of, uh, you know, been formed or become uh, better because of the adversity that you've been through. Yeah, and I'm saying yeah, like with a voice that says, "Yeah, but we didn't want to have that to happen." Oh, of course not. And um, I think so because imagine if I'd just been got better and better all my life, there would have been no contrast. Um, and certainly, losing my mum leveled everything because I realised how like I thought we had more time and we didn't, and. Mm. I had to look into the eyes of someone that I loved and stay whilst I really wanted to run. Yeah. I just, I saw a tear in her eye and I didn't want her to have it there. Yeah. I didn't want her to feel any sadness. You know, the woman's at the end of her life and I wanted her not to feel pain mm. so that I wouldn't have to see it. Yeah. Those, those moments really helped me 
stay Just stay that's yeah. the word I was gonna use stay yeah and and be and but also there was a such a you know when she when she actually died the joy that I felt the magic that was in the air the the way that the staff said that they were feeling mm. the way my her sister said she was euphoric she felt euphoric when she was leaving the hospital so it was such an enriching purposeful um difficult painful time um, and then there was no other place to go but to stay with it and feel it. And luckily, I was a coach by then, so I knew what I needed to do. I just had to do it or wow. not do it, just stay. Sure. And um, um, and again, it's in the staying that we fully connect with our vulnerability and with other people's. Um, so hard to do, though, because uh, we just we do want to run. We want to stay safe. Yeah. Absolutely. So the thing to do in the moment is to be able to reach out to someone you trust and say, I'm struggling or ouch or fuck Mm -hmm. and have someone who truly knows how to do empathy say, you know, you're doing okay. Not you're doing okay. That's not necessarily empathy, but I'm right here and you're being brave. Yeah. Yeah. What do you need? What is it you need? Um, And for me, usually that connection is enough. I don't need anything. I just needed that. Completely. And it takes the bravery to be to begin having that conversation and it takes bravery to stay and to to listen and not feel like you have to fix it but just to be you know that that human next to the person to allow them to process it themselves completely um yeah yeah jackie time has flown by i feel like we could talk for three hours Uh, i want to get into the daring way i feel like we're going to have to have a special on vulnerability and just get you back on just to like dive into that topic because it's so relevant uh well certainly for me but it sounds like uh, uh for everybody um until that time though uh where can people find you sort of online social media where can people find you so um the best place to find me online is at my website which is bravologist.co.uk oh good Um, good title thanks i'm glad you like it love it um and it's really about other people's brave and i you know because i kind of do like the science of brave but also you know the magic that comes with just showing up so yeah bravologist.co.uk um i'm on facebook i'm on linkedin um haven't sussed out instagram yet so if anybody wants to give me a tutorial yeah. <laughs> you can teach them to be brave they can teach that you how to cool. use instagram lovely absolutely so yeah um i'm definitely up for people making contact if you want to know more give me a shout i'm happy to have a call and and let you know a little more a little bit more about it lovely well we'll put uh, those details into the show notes uh, so that people can find you jackie thank you so much for your time and for all your lessons on vulnerability and bravery my pleasure i loved it thank you so much petra thank you bye everyone Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsdoor.com for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.